Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Happy cold Valentine's Day, and it's about to get colder. Amen. Uh, so, man, we are so glad to have you, whether you are joining us in person or you are at home and you are joining us live stream. We've not forgotten about you as well. And so we hope that you guys are experiencing uh, the love of this season. Uh, we certainly are uh, in our house, man. We are, we are so excited uh, about what God is doing us and excited about this journey that he has us on as we see how God has provided love for all of us. And uh, I think Waymaker is a, a perfect song to demonstrate how God has made a way. In this series, right, the, the Old Testament record, these Old Testament covenants, is really proof of how God's love for us has made a way for us despite our sin. Despite the sin that separates us from him, how God has made a way time and time again for us to be with him. We are in our series, I promise, that God proving his, in his love letter to us that doesn't just proclaim his love for us, but proclaims his glory in loving a man that is unlovely. And so today we're going to be talking about the people of the promise. Last week, uh, last week we talked about how uh, God preserved the promise through Noah, how he preserved the life, the literal life and creation of man through the flood and how God now is re-enlisting and how God is making his promise known, not just to creation, but he's focusing it on a people group. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a sick fascination uh, with fail videos uh, at times. My sons have kind of gotten me in on they, they do that. They watch these fail videos on YouTube where someone just makes a total catastrophic uh, attempt at something, right? And... and Things that, you know, I think we can see ourselves played out in it, I think is what makes it so relatable. Like, yeah, if I tried parkour, I would probably do something like that, right? My leg would probably split in half. Like, yep, that would, that would be me. And I don't know, but one of the things that I have uh, actually encountered that, again, and I probably have some psycho deep-rooted, like, psychological issues, uh, which is why I, I enjoy this, but um, there, there are some, some really really awkward, failed proposal, like uh, like engaging people, popping the question, like there's fail videos out there of those. And I'm just going to tell you, man, those are extremely cringy. Like those are, they are really, they, they make, they, I have a hard time like watching it, but I have a hard time looking away at the same time. Like, uh, and, and here's what I think about like Valentine's Day. I hope you're loving your spouse, your significant other, your family members more than one time a, a year. I hope you're doing that. And by the way, if you're not, I can tell you, you probably don't have a very happy home life. You need to be doing that. That that's pretty much a prerequisite. Like I don't, think that's news to anybody. I hope you're doing that. But what Valentine's Day does is it reminds all of us of a grand gesture 
of love. And when I watch these, these failed, these proposal videos, right, sometimes, obviously most of the time she says yes. I don't know why the guy's even asking if she, he doesn't know that she's going to say yes um, because I'm just not going to put myself out there like that. Maybe there's some bolder, more people more bold than I am. Uh, but you watch these videos and, like, they're at a basketball game and the, the woman just flat out says no or worse, like, physically harms him, like slaps him for asking. Like, there's some really rough stuff out there. Uh, and, and maybe even the worst of all is like when she says nothing at all, right? And I, I remember in my own proposal, when I proposed to my wife, like, I mean, she said yes immediately. And there might have been a second or two, but man, it felt like an eternity, the events leading up to it. Then when I'm on my knee and actually, because that's the right way to do it, boys, right? On your knee and, and, and I'm proposing to my wife, my future wife, who I hope to be my future wife, right? That, that it feels like an eternity before she says yes. And I just think about some of those guys that I'm watching and I'm thinking, as the seconds turn to minutes, which may develop into days, right? And they've put themselves out this great demonstration of love. You know, Valentine's Day is when we give flowers, right? This is actually not the flower I gave my wife. She has a pink rose because that's her favorite. Um, this is my daughter's flower that I use. Now, some of you are going, that's sick. Like, you would take your daughter's, like, hey, here's your rose. Now, let me take it to church with me. Listen, everything in my home, my family knows this. Everything in my home is subject to be an illustration, all right? So how you act at my house may end up in a sermon somewhere. What you have is on loan to you unless I need it for a sermon illustration. So this is the actual rose that I gave my daughter uh, today for Valentine's. Uh, but we, what I believe Valentine's Day really has the market cornered in is a grand display of love right? We want to give, we want to show you our love more than just what we would do on a daily basis. We want to give you flowers or chocolates or take you on a date. There's a, there's a grand display about Valentine's Day. And I think it's remarkable because we see the same thing in the Bible. We see the same thing in Genesis chapter 12. We see the same type idea of God giving a grand display, a grand gesture of love to man in the covenant that he makes with Abraham. And I think about this. I've asked my wife to marry me. I'm on my knee and I'm waiting for her to say yes. How would I feel if I'm promising my love to her and the seconds turn to minutes, turn to days, turn to weeks, turn to years, turn to decades, and I never receive an answer from her. As the teenagers would say, she leaves me on read, right? She knows I've read my message. Teenagers, y'all know, that's like the, the big social faux pas. You don't do that, right? At least anybody you care about, you don't leave them on read. They're reading the message. You know they've gotten the message, and they just don't respond to you. By the way, I'll offend everyone in this room. If you text me, at some point I'll leave you on read. But God leaves Abraham on read for 25 years. 
God makes a promise to Abraham, and it's 25 years before Abraham sees any part of that promise come to fruition. Let's read about it in Genesis chapter 12 as we look first at the promise made. The promise made. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So he found himself in a a place, in in a geographical area known as Ur. I don't know how boring of a place Ur had to be, but I have to believe that it couldn't have been real exciting, right? Ur... Right, God, leave Ur. Like, I, I can't believe that would be too hard of a decision. But Abraham is called by God. Abram, excuse me, is called by God out of the land of Ur. When he's 75 years old, God tells him, take everything you own. Take your family, take your possessions. Leave. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. But I'll give you that direction once you leave. Leave and go to a place that I'm going to tell you. He said, and I will bless you so that you in turn will be a blessing. This is a tremendous theme throughout Scripture. That God blesses, not so that the blessing can be enjoyed by the individual, but so that the blessing can be turned out toward others. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. God is beginning to unravel the the theology of, of how he works amongst his people, right? That they are blessed in order to be a blessing. And the response was immediate, right? Abraham went. As the Lord told him, without hesitation, Abram picked up his family, picked up all of his belongings, and left to the land that we would know eventually would be the land of Canaan at 75 years old. But here's what happens. Fast forward now around 10 years. We know in Genesis 16 that God gives him a son Uh, named Ishmael through Sarah's handmaiden. And so we believe that this was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about nine years, a little less than ten years later, Abram finds himself in Canaan. The problem is Abram doesn't own anything in Canaan. He's a foreigner. He's a sojourner. He's just there as a journeyman living and, and, and just has made his home in in the land of Canaan. And so Genesis 15 picks up with Abraham still being some nine, ten years removed from the initial promise that God hinted out in Genesis 12. We find ourselves in Genesis 15. But what it says of Abraham in verse 6 is significant. It says of Abraham that he believed God and it was counted to him is righteousness. The ESV says it was counted to him. What does your translation say? It was counted to him. Uh, there's some other words that other translations have used. Reckoned. It was reckoned to him. That, that's one. Absolutely. Anyone, any others? 
anybody's reading the NIV, what? What was it? Credited. It was credited to him. This is actually, the word credit is actually my favorite translation of this. Right? That it was counted to him as right. He believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. It was credited on his behalf. The ESV, the King James, uh, render the word counted. Uh, ASV, NASB, among others, render the word reckoned. But the NIV and the Holman Christian Standard uh, render it credited. When we went, when we planned our 10-year anniversary this past November uh, to prevent from bringing up, you know, preventing bringing up horrible um, sadness from my wife, we, we were going to go on a cruise to Nova Scotia and the eastern seaboard. Uh, we had never done that before. We'd, we'd been on cruises in the Caribbean, but we had never been north. We weren't taking our kids, hallelujah. We were going to see Nova, Nova Scotia. We were going to see, uh, we were leaving out of Massachusetts. And, and then COVID happens, right? So what happens to our cruise? It's canceled. We get our money back from our cruise, and we get our money back from every area that we were going to spend, with the exception of one. We were leaving out of Boston, Massachusetts. We had to fly. Guess where the one place that we didn't get our money back? The airline. So what I have in Lon Ostrisky Jr.'s account for Southwest Airlines, and I don't know if it ever expires. I hope not. Y'all can let me know if it does um, so I can wing that quickly. I have a credit for the amount that my wife and I were going to spend to fly to Boston, Massachusetts. We have it as a credit in our account. Now, I don't ever get that money back, but whenever I decide to travel again, I have this as a credit on a future flight. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, as we talked about last week, God's standard has always been righteousness. It's always been holiness. It's always been perfection. And you see, church, just like Abraham, we all in this room need and require Righteousness, the standard of righteousness and perfection. Abraham would need righteousness. But Abraham was never truly righteous. He was never truly holy. He was never perfect. But it was credited on his account. Righteousness was credited on his account. Why? Because Abraham believed. We find that come full circle and fully realized in Christ. Do we not? That we will never be righteous on our own, but he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. And if we would put our faith and obedience and trust in Christ, that it would be credited on my account, Miss Barbara, that God has declared me righteous, though I'm not. It's credited to me. And we find it here in, in Abraham. But listen what it says in verse 7 of Genesis 15. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Right? I don't own this land. It's not mine. He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, 
a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these. He cut them in half, and he laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, I don't think you came here on Valentine's Day to hear the intricate detail of sawing animals in half, okay? I recognize that whether you're listening online, don't tune out, okay? You probably didn't come to hear a message about that. But I want you to understand, as, as, as I would give a rose to my wife or my daughter as a demonstration of love, I don't want us because we don't understand that what is happening in context. We understand the context of a rose today. What we don't understand is the context of Old Testament covenant and how it fits with the bigger picture of God's love for us. And so our love doesn't look like bringing dismembered animals right, to our significant other and saying, I love you so much. Here's this sawn in half heifer, right? We don't do that. But I want you to understand the demonstration of love, the grand display of love that's on display here. This relates to an Old Testament covenant-making ceremony. And so when two people would enter a covenant with one another... They would take an animal. Now, the, now, God is using multiple animals. Most of the time, one would work. They would take an animal and they would saw it in half. Again, probably not going to find this on the Hallmark Channel or any Nicholas Sparks book anytime soon. But they would saw an animal in half. And they would place the two sides opposite of one another, leaving all the carnage in the middle, Right, They would separate the two animal parts, and then the parties would walk between the animal pieces. Yuck. Agreed? Nasty. But here's what they were doing. They were making a promise to one another. And this was the promise. If I break the covenant that we are promising together, you can do to me what we've done to these animals. That is significant, right? We are taking pinky promise to a whole nother level, right? Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Like this is major promise making stuff here. If I break this, if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, you can do to us, do to me what we've done to this animal. This was how you made covenants, you made promises, and you bonded each other together in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. But listen, listen what happens. After sawing all these animals in half, after running off all the birds that had come down to feast on the carcasses, Abram gets tired and Abram falls asleep. But listen what happens in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Don't miss this. 
The way you made covenant were the two parties. In order to take responsibility for the consequences of breaking the covenant, the two people would walk in between the animal pieces. Symbolizing, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, you can do to me what we've done to these animals. When Abram woke from his sleep, he looked and he saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. These are symbolic of the presence of God. We don't have to look any further than the people of Israel being led in the wilderness by a pillar of fire by night and of cloud by day. Smoke and fire. Both symbols of the presence of God. And as he looked up, he fully expected, I believe, based on how covenants were made in that day, he fully expected to be at some point walking between these animal pieces. Once God showed up, he would make a covenant with man and they would walk between the pieces. But that's not what he saw. He saw the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch. Here's the significance. The infinite God of this universe was looking at Abram and saying, Abram, if I break my covenant with you, you finite, pemite, peon, little man, what is man that you're mindful of? Little insignificant man, you can do to me what we've done to these animals. But he went a step further. In both being present, the present, symbolic of the presence of God, Abram never walked between the animals. So what he was saying was, and Abram, if you break this covenant, you can also do to me what we've done to these animals. Church, I believe this to be a pure prophetic understanding of what, why Jesus would have to die. That he was bruised for our transgressions. He was broken for our sins. The, the, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. God was... You talk about a demonstration of love. This goes far beyond a trip to the florist. He is not... And in your notes, right? In your notes, listen... Uh, To Abraham, God offered covenant while bearing all the consequences. All the consequences for breaking it. Did God know that man would break it? Absolutely he did. But he didn't just offer his love and the consequence being if he didn't fulfill his end of the bargain. But man, if you don't fulfill your end of the bargain, you can do to me what we've done to these animals. And Jesus, from that point on, Jesus' fate on the cross was sealed because of man's disobedience. Let's look secondly at the promise delayed. This was the promise made. Don't miss it, right? Don't miss because of the, the fog of context. Don't miss what God is saying to Abram. Listen to what it says in Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. 99 years old. How, how old was he when they mentioned the, when he left Haran, when he left Ur? 75. 
He is now 99. He's an old man. Now he's an extremely old man at 99. God shows up again. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram. The name Abram means exalted father or honored father. So think about it. A man who had no offspring, his name meant exalted father. Right? Imagine what a smack in the face this had been for 75 years, for 99 years for Abram to be a father be called a father who was not a father. But not only is your name going to continue as Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. The name Abraham literally meaning father of multitudes. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and, she, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you, and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. 99 years old when God reaffirms the covenant. By the way, Abraham still hasn't received anything from the covenant yet. 99 years old and God makes a covenant. But this time he goes into more detail. I'm not just going to bless you to be a blessing, right? I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a nation. A nation will come from you. So I'm going to give you a people, right? These are the people of the promise through the Abrahamic covenant. It's through his family, through his seed. But I'm going to give you land to possess. I'm going to give you Canaan, the promised land, right? This is why it was so important to get back to the promised land after Egypt. Because the people didn't possess the land until after the conquest. When they came back from Egypt was when they actually took possession of the land. But thirdly, and don't miss this, he said, I will be your God. He was giving Abram access to himself. Something that was unthinkable. God was giving himself access to be their God and for them to be his people. But man had a requirement as well. It said at the beginning, it said to be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. It's not hard. Just be perfect, right? Hey, here's your promise. Be perfect. And you get it. Okay? What does he say after that? As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, right? There was obedience that was required. There was a covenant obedience to be obedient to the law that we'll find out in Moses that set the people apart. Be obedient to that, but also be obedient through setting yourself apart through circumcision, Right? The physical seal, the making yourself different from every other people group, you are to be circumcised in your flesh. God's covenant with Abraham would be an everlasting covenant. 
But how can it be everlasting if God is requiring things like, hey, be perfect or be obedient to me? What happens when man's not? By the way, that happens. Spoiler alert. It happens. What happens when man is disobedient? You see, the covenant with God is everlasting, but the blessings of the covenant would be conditional on obedience. The blessing of the covenant. In your notes, while God's promises are forever, His blessings are experienced day by day. As we sing songs like, Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. What God has declared will forever be. These covenants have not gone away. They've not been destroyed. They've been perfected, right? They haven't gone away. And so this covenant is not just going to get us to the next covenant. This covenant is everlasting. But the blessings of 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 the covenant, Abraham, will come through obedience. Obedience through God in order to receive the blessing of the covenant. Israel would eventually fail. Israel would eventually sin and God would eventually take Israel away. They would, he would exile Israel. Man couldn't meet that standard of holiness. As we'll read in the Mosaic Covenant, they played the harlot. They sought after other gods. The, their own God, the one true God wasn't enough and so they'd seek relationship with other gods and in so doing they would forfeit the blessing of God in their life. Listen, we cannot change an immutable God. That is an attribute of God that is constant and secure. He is immutable. He is unchangeable. You that what your actions cannot change God. But the reason why God enters in covenant with us is to change us. We don't change him. And when we operate outside of the bounds of how he intends for us to live, then we forfeit those blessings. And so his promises are forever, but his blessings are experienced day by day. And so the blessings of God would be removed from Israel throughout their history over and over again. God would grant them rest and then they would rebel and then he would, uh, they would repent and then they would restore. God would ruin them and then they would repent and then he would restore them. Over and over we see this cycle. Even when Jesus is around, the people of Israel are still enduring the judgment of God and, and be in their captivity of Rome, right? Even, even when the Messiah is walking around, they're experiencing this. But God's covenant is forever. We can take God at his word. According to Genesis 21, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac comes on the scene. In fact, it was such a laughable concept that Abraham would be 100 and that Sarah would be 90, that Sarah laughed Right? Thought it was funny. Actually, both of them laughed. Abraham laughed and Sarah laughed. 
that the prospects of a 90 and 100 year old person having children, they had written it off a long time ago, but God was faithful to his promise. And on comes Isaac into the scene. And so thirdly and finally, let's look at the promise obeyed. God had given his grand gesture in Genesis 15. Now it had taken a long time to realize the promise. God had given his rose. But look what he required of Abram in Genesis 22. Turn over a couple pages, Genesis 22. And let's look at the promise obeyed. Beginning in verse 1, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here, am, here I am. And God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there, excuse me, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Think about this. A quarter century this man has waited for a son, waited for a promise of God to come. He gets the promise, and just a few short years later, God asks for the son back. And we look at that and we go, that's not fair. But that's not how Abraham took it. What did it say in, verse, in chapter 15? Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. He had faith in God. And so what did he do? Let's look at, notice the faith of Abraham that we see beginning in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. How do we see Abraham's faith in this passage? I believe in two ways. Number one, he left immediately. He arose early in the morning, having been told by God what to do. He left early in the morning. He took his men, he took his servants, and he took his son, and they left, and they went to go make the sacrifice. But listen to verse 5. Stay here with the donkey, he tells his men. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham had confidence based upon the consistency of God to his word over a quarter century of his life. Abraham had confidence that he was going with his son and that he and his son would come back. But would be obedient even to the point of death. Why? 
Genesis 12, uh, 17, 19, right? Flip back a couple pages to Genesis 17, 19. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. What is he saying? The same everlasting covenant I made with you, Abraham, I'm making with your son named Isaac, and it's going to be an everlasting covenant. It's not going anywhere. I'm promising you this. This is the grand gesture of my love. He believed God. And despite every evidence in his reality that says don't kill the son that God has promised you, he would be obedient to God even to drawing the knife over Isaac to slay him. That literally the angel would have to yell out to stop. Don't kill him. I don't know what was going through Abraham's mind as his knife is stretched, ready to plunge it into his son. I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 says that Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead. That he would sacrifice his son and that God would raise him from the dead. And And so we don't know exactly what Abraham was thinking. But here's the point. In your notes, faith in God's faithfulness led Abraham to be faithful. Faith in God's faithfulness. We look at that 25 years and go, man, that must have been terrible. But through that 25 years, God was changing the heart of Abraham. God was walking with Abraham. He was affirming and reaffirming his covenant with Abraham over and over to the point that God, on record for being faithful in Abraham's life, he would look at the situation and say, I don't know how it works. I don't know how it's going to happen. I can't tell. I, I can't fit the pieces to make sense of it all. But God has required this of me and I will be obedient. Not because of Abraham's faith generated in and of himself, but in faith because of the faithfulness of the one who is forever faithful. Because of that, Abraham responds in faith. Listen to what it says in verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. This is going back to Genesis 15. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God's blessings may be removed from time to time in the history of Israel because they did not always obey his voice. But the faith of Abram informed by the faithfulness of a God who walked with him for 25 years, taught him that he can put his faith in Jehovah, in Yahweh God. But that's not the end of the story. So these covenants point to something greater. And just as Abraham believed God, and because he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. God's made a way for us to be counted righteous as well. You see, God didn't require Abraham to slay his son. 
But the story of Abraham and the covenant God makes and the Abrahamic covenant points to a father, a good father, a loving father who would lay down the life of his only son to declare the world righteous if they would put their faith and obedience in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son So that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Abraham points to what we see fulfilled in Christ. And it brings us to our point of response. God's made a way for you to be righteous. Filthy, dirty sinner, I don't care what you've come in here with. I am as you are. I've just found a way to be clean. That's made available through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today with every head bow and eye closed, if you're here today or you're listening online and you have never entered a relationship with Christ, there's never been a time where you've asked forgiveness for your sin. You've asked for God to forgive you, to set you free from your sin. And you've responded in faith based on the faithful record of God throughout history. You've never put your faith and your trust in him as Lord and Savior. I want you to know that he makes that available to you today. Today, you can respond in obedience to him. You can respond to the most incredible, the grandest display of affection that the world has ever known. For Jesus to exchange his righteousness for our ruin to give us a way to extend the rose for us to be with him forever. So if you're here and you need to do business with God, you need to make that decision to follow him as Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity. We've got counselors that are in this room. In the front of the room, all you have to do, if you would, if you just stand to your feet, if you find the center aisle, come find one of these here at the front. would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Christ, how you can experience this covenant love that God has shown to a very unworthy subject in us. But He's made it, He's faithful. He's offered you covenant with while bearing the consequences on Himself. Jesus bore the consequence of my sin and your sin on the tree, on the cross, so that we could come to be with Him. So if you're here and you need to make that decision for Christ, don't put it off. Don't wait another moment. Stand even now, right now, where you're at. Stand to your feet. Come to the center aisle. Come to this front. Find one of these counselors. We would love to talk to you about that relationship you can have with Christ today. To respond in obedience. Father, give us boldness and strength to respond to your invitation. This incredible display of love. May we respond by faith and be be credited as righteousness for us. every head bow and eyes still closed if you need to make that decision we'd love to talk to you about it love to talk to you about how you can commit your life to Christ forever would you stand would you come would you respond now give us give be bold would you be bold enough take that step out on faith and respond in obedience
Maybe for you, that response looks a little different. Maybe you know that you have a relationship with Christ, but you've been walking at guilty distance. Maybe you need accountability in a church home. Maybe you need to join what God's doing here at Lindsay Lane North. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you get things in order and be obedient to the Lord, letting the world, declaring to the world that the change that Christ has made in you. Whatever it is, this invitation is for you as well. And so don't leave this moment without responding to the Holy Spirit's draw in your life. Would that be you? Would you respond? In whatever way, whatever thing that you need to, maybe you just need prayer. Whatever it is, would you just respond in obedience to Christ today? you to know that you're not exempt from the invitation of the Holy Spirit as well. God's made a way for you to let someone know about what you, the decision you need to make for Christ. Attached to the initial post, whether you're watching live stream or down below in YouTube, there's a way for you to be connected to our connect call. We would love for you to connect there to let us know about any decision that you've made for the Lord today that we can follow up with. We'd love to talk to you. We're not going to embarrass you, not going to hunt you down, anything like that. We just want to follow up with you on the decision that you've made to surrender your life to Jesus or whatever decision that needs to be made. For you in the room, you know as well that we have those connect cards that you can let us know for whatever reason. If you didn't move today, you have the opportunity to respond that way as we leave. You can drop it in the offering bucket on the way out. Father, we thank you for your God, we thank you that your faithfulness has allowed us to be faithful. But let us respond in faith and obedience to you. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for all that you do for us. God, it's in your holy and precious name.